Welcome to church. Thank you guys for sharing. We're glad you guys joined us for uh, worship today, whether you join us in person or live um, on our live stream. Thank you so much. Um, like these boys that were, during their spring break, went to Fiji for a mission trip, I did not go on a mission trip. I went on a family vacation to Korea. And I went to Korea, and I don't know how it was for these. I imagine it was probably similar for these boys. If anyone here has done um, any sort of international travel, or even to a certain extent just gone to like the East Coast and traveled somewhere um, where there's a significant time zone difference from where you're used to, you know of something called jet lag. And what jet lag refers to is when your body has not acclimated to your current time zone that you're in, and instead it's going off of whatever time zone you just left. And so what that generally looks like is your sleep schedule being completely turned upside down. Generally speaking, if it's a big enough time zone difference, you're really tired during the day, and then at night, you can't go to sleep. And it's really, really frustrating um, experience. And I, I, I knew this would happen, and so I tried to plan for it as best as I could, and I remember I talked to a few people about, hey, what are the best ways to overcome, like, jet lag and keep it, like, you know, as, as minimal as possible. And people are like, you want, what you want to do is you want to acclimate to, like, Korean time, like, while you're on the flight. So if that means, like, when you get on the flight and it's, like, nighttime in Korea, you want to try to sleep. And you want to try to wake up when it's, like, morning in Korea and then not sleep again until you land. And so I have this whole strategy planned out. And I also get kind of, like, motion sickness on, like, long flights or, like, any form of transportation, really. So it's like, okay, I'll take, like, a motion sickness medication to help me, which will also make me drowsy. And the minute I get on a plane, I'll sleep for, like, a few hours. And then I'll wake up when, like, the food comes around. And then, like, I won't be tired for the rest of the flight. And I'll, I'll like, try to acclimate my body on the way there. So I got on the flight. I took my Dramamine. I was like, okay. I'm not going to get motion sickness. I'm going to fall asleep. And we took off, and I was like, oh, my goodness. This thing is amazing. I'm like, I feel, like, not sick at all. I don't feel, like, woozy. And then as I was starting to fall asleep, we're maybe 30 minutes into the flight, maybe 45, all the lights turned on, and the stewardess started rolling by with the food. And I was like, oh, my goodness. There is no way. And so basically, um, everything was destroyed. And, like, I had spent the first week in Korea, like, completely just, like, like a zombie. The worst part was... After I came back, and for some people, like, people tell you different stories about, like, oh, it's, like, better when you're there, or it's better when you come back. I came back, and for the first night, it was, like, it was totally fine, and I slept at a reasonable time. I woke up kind of early, but I was, like, if this is as bad as it gets, I'm fine. The next three nights were, like, the worst nights of my life, and I have never been in a place where I was so physically tired but not sleepy. And, I, and I, I've always used those words synonymously. But I remember it was a Saturday. I was the church for the whole thing, a whole day with the youth kids, and I came home, and I was, like, exhausted. And I laid in bed, and I stared at the ceiling till like, 4 in the morning, and I was like, there's no way this is happening. And in this, that first night it happened, I was like, this is ridiculous. The next night it happened, I was laying in bed, and I was so just frustrated and like, just angsty. I was so upset. Like, why is this happening? I love sleeping. I'm really good at sleeping. Like, why is this happening to me right now? And if you've ever been in this situation, if you've ever had, like, insomnia or maybe you had jet lag yourself, it's a really frustrating place to be, to want to sleep, to have to sleep, and then not be able to sleep. And as I was tossing and turning, and my mind was just wandering, I decided, you know what I should do? I should pray. I should pray, but I found myself, I was laid in bed, and I was, you know, wide awake. It's like 3 in the morning. I was like, I have to go to sleep at a reasonable hour so I don't destroy 
my this week's schedule, I started praying to God. But I did not, I didn't ask God to help me fall asleep because I felt that's childish and that's not really how this works. I just talked to God. I was like, hey God, how's it going? I'm here and I'm like awake and I'm like, you know, I started talking to him. And then as I was doing this, I caught myself and I had to ask myself this question. And the question I had to ask myself was, why am I praying right now? Why is it three in the morning and why have I laid awake not spending time with God, like on my phone or just, you know, daydreaming for the last three hours? Why have I decided to pray in this moment? And if I was truly honest with myself, as I, as I thought I was at three in the morning, it was, I wanted God, I wanted God to make me fall asleep. But without actually asking him to make me fall asleep. In other words, really, if I was being honest, I was, if I spend time with God, my rationale was if I spend time with God and I like talk to him and I just pray to him, just about life in general and spend time with God, God will reward me with sleep. And genuinely, as I caught myself, I was like, that's so ridiculous. Like, what am I, and I stopped praying. I was like, all right, amen. What the, what did I just, like, what am I doing right now? And I had to catch myself that without asking God, if I spend time with God in prayer, talking about other things, God would reward, would reward me with sleep. And that incident, and as I woke up the next day, as I was thinking about it, kind of lingered in my mind. I was like, I can't believe I did such a ridiculous, childish thing. And as I thought about it, it was actually a symptom of something that, I, that had been on my mind maybe for the past few months. And the reason it was was because I've caught myself asking this question. And this has been a question that has been growing with me as I kind of uh, grew in my understanding of Jesus and really a question I've been asking at every stage of my relationship with Jesus. And the question is, and the question I think you owe to ask yourself as well, especially in the context of today's message is, why do you spend time with God? Why do you spend time with God? And spending time with God, especially if you grew up in the church, is something you've been encouraged to do probably since you're a really young kid. And, you know, there's a few different ways you can say it, spending time with God, doing devotionals, walking with God, but it all essentially translates to the same thing. And if you're a kid and you grow up and someone told you you should spend time with God, generally they told you the way you do that, the way you spend time with God, the way you do your devotionals, the way you walk with God is one of two things, ideally both. Reading your Bible, and pray. Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. If you do those things, that's how you spend time with a God that you cannot physically like go to a restaurant with or watch a movie with. The way you spend time with God, because you can't physically see him, is you spend time reading the word, reading the Bible, and spend time in prayer. That is how you spend time with God. And you were all told from a young age that this is what you should do. This is a good thing to do. You should spend time with God, spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer. The question is, why? Why is this a good thing to do? Why should you even do this? And this message really today is for anyone here in this room that has a phone with a Bible app on it. And if you have a phone with a Bible app on it, most people fall into one of two camps. Either you are someone, if I, if you, if I asked you to open your Bible app right now, you would have like a little badge that shows up with like a 500-day streak. And you have been on the Bible app every day for you. Reading the Bible and doing devotionals is just a routine part of your life. And it's really ingrained in your schedule. It's just a given part of the day. You are in the Word. And you know how to do it. You have your whole system figured out. That's one group of people. There's another group of people on the other end of the spectrum. If I asked you to open the Bible app, 
you would tap on it and then it would begin downloading again because it has been so long since the last time you opened it that your smartphone decided, I don't think you use this app. I'm going to go ahead and delete it. Um, but if you want it, you can re-download it right here. And I feel like most people fall somewhere in between those two spectrums here. And the reason I say this message is for, for both people is that if you are someone that spends time in the Word daily, and, and spending time in the, reading the Bible and doing devotionals has been a part of your life, and it's a routine part that you enjoy doing, you, to a certain extent, have answered the question, why should I spend time with Jesus? You've answered it. Some version of it brings value to your life, or I enjoy doing it, or I, you do it out of a sense of obligation or obedience or responsibility, or some combination of, of those things. On the other hand, if you don't spend time reading the Bible regularly, if you don't spend time with God, with Jesus, on a daily, regular, consistent basis, you too have answered the question, why should I spend time with God? And your answer is some version of, I shouldn't, or it doesn't really bring value to my life. And depending on where you fall on the spectrum of Bible reading and spending time with God, I really hope either way this message can bring some value to you in asking the question of why should I really spend time with God? What should it really accomplish? And why is this something that Christians should do? But before going to that, I invite you to join me in a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you so much for this time and the blessing that it is just to be at church together in fellowship and in worship and praise. And Lord, as we uh, as I speak your word, Father, I ask that you use me as nothing more than your vessel, Father, and speak through me and that in the words that I say, your name and character and who you are be glorified, Father, and that your will be done at Rock Fellowship as it is done in heaven, Lord. Soften hearts, open ears, open our minds so that we may be open to listening to your voice. I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Um, when I was younger, I've shared this briefly in previous sermons um, in parts, I grew up, one of the things my parents had me do at pretty much when, as, when I was in the age of what we would call like rock kids, between like maybe like first grade through like fourth or fifth grade, was every day I woke up and I had to read a chapter of the Bible. Um, and I did that every day for like a fairly long time. It wasn't really like an option per se. I never, I actually never asked why. I don't think asking why was really an option, but I just did. I had to wake up, brush my teeth, I read a chapter of the Bible, and then I could eat breakfast and then get ready for school, do all that other stuff. I did that for, I would say like, you know, better part of like seven, eight, seven, eight years. And in doing that every day, this trust, this is not like an illustration of me trying to prop myself up or saying I'm better than you. It really isn't. I did that every day for the longest time, and I feel like I did that because I had to, and as I was thinking about like putting this in the context of this sermon, I remember that a lot of times I did this, it was really, if I'm being honest, I did it for the sake of doing it. In other words, I feel like if I were to ask you today, why do you read the Bible, why do you spend time with the Word, you would have some version of like, I'm here to learn or to grow my understanding of. I did it for the sake of like reading practice, essentially. I just knew I had to read a chapter of the Bible, and like I would really hate like Genesis, because the chapters are really long. I loved Psalms, because the chapters are very, very short. And I remember, like, even, you know, like, I, I, when I was younger, I didn't really understand the point of it. Because like, I remember, like, bargaining with my parents, like, oh, like, can I skip Lamentations? I think it'll make me too depressed. Like, oh, is it okay if I skip it? And I was like, yes, I can skip this book. And really, I was reading for the purpose of just getting through the book, because this is just what I had to do to get along with my day. And I say that... Um, 
looking back, I'm not particularly bitter about this. I don't think I can, I can say, stand here today and be like, I'm so upset and bitter that my parents had me do this. I feel like overall, it was, it was a fairly good experience. Um, sure, there were days where I read it and I feel like I have no idea what I'm reading. There are days when I read it just for the sake of reading something. And, you know, there are days where I, I just didn't really want to do it. But overall, looking back, I feel like, you know, it was a fairly good experience. I'm glad my parents let me do it. At the very least, what it did for me was it gave me a pretty good understanding of, like, just the general flow of the Bible. I knew Genesis was at the beginning, and there was a bunch of, like, stories in the middle, and there was, like, Psalms and all these prophets that I didn't know. And if I could just get through all the weird prophets, I can get to Jesus, and it starts to make sense again, and then there's Paul, and then Revelation gets weird at the end. Like, I feel like I had a pretty good understanding of the overall flow of the Bible, and also, in Sabbath school and in children's ministry, I, like, would kill it at, like, all the Bible trivia games, and I was the best, and I had all the stickers. So it was, like, really good for me at that time in my life. But, again, for me, it was essentially, I would liken it to, like, it was essentially homework, right? In the same way that I had to go home, and it was my obligation to do my homework, do whatever chores I had to do. In the same way, I had to read my Bible, brush my teeth in the morning. And I knew it was good for me, but it was, it was more of an obligation, and then as I grew older, it kind of just faded. Once I hit like junior high, maybe high school, I stopped. I, I realized like I haven't read the Bible for the sake of reading the Bible chronologically in a really long time. But that was also the same time, right when I stopped reading it every day just for the sake of reading it. It was around the time when the message told to me at church, and the message told to me in my Bible classes and from my Sabbath school teachers was that we should read the Bible for the purpose of spending time with Jesus. And I feel like when I was younger, that wasn't really the case. I was to read the Bible to learn the Bible stories so that I could get the answer right. When the teacher asked me that question, I can get a sticker on the board. And I feel like when I was younger, it was more just like learning the stories. But right around when I got to like maybe junior high, high school, right, coincidentally, right around when I dropped that habit, is when I feel like the message began to change from reading the Bible for the sake of learning the stories to, oh, you should read the Bible because... The Bible teaches you more about this person, more about Jesus. And actually, all of the stories are connected. And they're really all talking about the same person. And the way you spend time and learn about this person is through the means of reading the Bible. And that was a very like, important shift for me to start to understand as my understanding of what it meant to read the Bible and spend time with Jesus began to change. And the message was less about you should read the Bible because you have to read the Bible. It was more you should want to read the Bible because you should want to spend time with Jesus because that is a good thing to do. And that's very important for you to do as a follower of Jesus. You should get to know him for what he is. And the best way to do that, the best way to communicate with Jesus is through reading the Bible. And the shift really became the Bible was just a collection of stories to more of like, this is kind of like a biography or a description of someone's life. Not just the four Gospels, but the whole thing is really about one person. And again, the also kind of question that shifted was, it was from something I had to do every morning to something that I should want to do, that you get to do. You should love doing it. And you should love spending time with Jesus. But for me, the question still remained, and I feel like I wrestled with this through high school and through college as this transition happened. The question was still, why? Why should I spend time with Jesus? Obviously, you know, 
people tell me it's good and I'm following God, but why should I really spend time with God? Not really the right question, but for me personally, why do I spend time reading the Bible? Why do I spend time praying? And I feel like if you asked me throughout my teenage years, the question would have been more or less, if I spend time with God, if I spend time with God, then God is more likely to be a part of my life. Which at face value doesn't sound terrible. But if you probed a little bit deeper and you asked me to be a little bit more honest, I feel like what I was really trying to say is, if I spend time with God, God is more likely to help me when I need him to help me. Which again, doesn't sound terrible, terrible. It's like, yeah, okay, maybe there's some truth there. And obviously, you know, there's some truth of going to God when you need help. But if I really was being honest, if I was truly being honest about why I spent time with God, why I spent time in the Bible, and if I really looked at when I spent time with God, the real answer I think would have been, if I spend time with God, he is more likely to do what I ask him to do. If I spend time with God, he is more likely to do what I ask him to do. It's weird to ask him stuff when I haven't spent time with him. But if I have spent time with him, it's easier for me to ask him stuff. And in turn, he'll probably be more likely to do what I ask him to do. Because, you know, we've been spending time together. I've put in the time. I have the social capital with God. So that when I do need him, he's more likely to say yes. Basically, if I spend time with God, he's more likely to listen to me and ask and do what I ask him to do, which sounds really bad. But if I looked at kind of my spiritual life throughout my teenagers, high school, college, even to my early 20s before I got to ministry, it's, I feel like that is the right answer. Because here's an example. During finals week, and maybe some of the students here can relate, my spirituality, all-time high. Every day I was in the Word. I woke up read the verse of the day, and then the whole chapter, spend time praying. Before I went to bed, cracked open the Bible, read enough, two chapters in one day, which is crazy. And considering that the week before, I read zero chapters a day. But again, for me, it was like, well, I need God right now. I need God to help me clutch the finals I did not study for. Therefore, I felt like if I put in the time and the effort and opened my Bible and spent time with God, God would be pleased with me and make him more malleable to my requests. Hey God, because I read like five chapters this past week, can you give me an A on my Greek final even though I don't know what this word means, right? And if I'm being really honest, that kind of was more or less the case. Or especially when I was um, a student and I would preach at the local uh, school, uh, church that I was a part of when I was in college, you know, maybe once or twice a year, I would like freak out before I had to preach. I was like, I can't preach in front of my peers. Oh my goodness. Time to pray and read the Bible. And I read the Bible not as a source of sermon-like material, which a lot of pastors I know struggle with. with every time they read the Bible, they, like, they automatically try to turn to a sermon. That was not my problem. I read the Bible because for me, it was like, hey, God, look at me putting in the time. Look at me putting in the time so that when I do need to write this sermon, and this is honestly kind of how I thought, you will just give it to me on a silver platter. Like, you will just write it for me. Please and thank you. Oh my goodness, I'm going to read an extra hard book today. Let's read Habakkuk today. And then I'll, maybe I'll look through a few commentaries to really kind of like show you that, look, here I am, God. Look at me putting in the time 
and the work so that you can come through for me when I need you to. Now, at this point, I think it's important to put a disclaimer. I'm not saying, I'm not saying you can't run to God when you need him and in times of struggle. Of course not, and God wants you to, and we see this happen time and time again, where people cry out to God, and God's heart turns to him, where the disciples cry out to Jesus, wake him up, and he wakes up from the boat, and he calms the seas and the storm. Of course, of course you can run to God. Of course you should run and cling to God in times of trouble and difficulty, but I think only you can really answer this question if that is the only time you run to and acknowledge God, then there is a problem here in the way you view why you should spend time with God. Because the bigger logical fallacy that's attached to this way of thinking, that's attached to the way you think of, if I spend time with God, he's more likely to be a part of my life, which is really, for me, code for do what I ask him to do. This makes a very dangerous and kind of ridiculous assumption. And the assumption is that I have something of value that I can use to barter and exchange with God. The assumption here is that my time, my attention to God is an equivalent exchange for God to then work miracles in my life. Because for me, what I was really saying is, God, me spending time with you should mean that you will then work miracles in my life. Why? Because I did my part, God. I lifted up my side of the couch, right, by reading the Bible and praying. Now you lift up yours and give me that A, on this Greek final, or whatever thing I'm going through right now, God. And then, in doing so, the problem with this is that, again, it assumes that your time and my attention is somehow worthy of an exchange with what God is doing. Um, there was this illustration um, a few, maybe a few months ago. I was scrolling on, on either Instagram or TikTok, and I saw this clip, um, and it was a podcast clip, and it was the podcast host and then this guest that he had on, and I don't know the context, I just saw this small clip, um, but at some point, the guest of the podcast, and this is a very like, well-known, probably one of the more famous podcasts there are, um, the guest of the podcast said, let's, let's do a competition. See, let's play rock, paper, scissors, right? And I think he was trying to prove a point about something. And the host said, all right, we can do that. But then the guest said, let's make it interesting. I'll, let's put a wager on it. Let's play for something. It's not fun if you just play. Let's play with something on the line. The host said, sure. What should we play for? And the guest said, if I win, if I win, I get to determine the next, week of the next week of programming on this podcast. And if you win, and before he could finish, the host said, no, absolutely not. And then, you know, it, it was a very harsh kind of cut him off, and the guest seemed very flustered. No, 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 like, hear me out. Come on. And then the host said, and it was very cold, he said, there is nothing that you have that is worth a week of programming on this podcast. And I was like, whoa, what does he say next, right? Now I'm like, really? And that's a crazy, it's a harsh thing to say, right? As, as the podcast host, you want to be very, you know, welcoming. And, and the guest was like, no, come on. Like, you know, let's, you know, maybe not money. Maybe we can do. And then he said, listen, there really is nothing that you have that you could offer me that comes close to what a week of programming on my podcast is worth. And the conversation ended there. And like you could tell, like the guest was a little flustered, but as it starts to sink in, I mean, if that's true, what can you say? And for me, I feel like there is 
there's a certain harsh truth about what that says about our relationship with Jesus. And in, not necessarily one in one, but the reality is, I think that at times we use our time and our energy and our attention as a sort of currency that we can cash in to get God to do stuff for us in our lives. God. And then the problem with this is that it sets you up at best for disappointment because you ask God to do this thing. But God, I, I've been doing my devotionals. God, I've been, I prayed. How come you didn't fix this situation for me? And you get disappointed. Or at worst, you feel like it enables your relationship with God to become that of like quid pro quo. God, I give and then you give. I give and then I take, right? I give you my time and then you give me something of equivalent value, a miracle. Okay, let's just, I read two chapters and then you fix all my problems, right? I give you three chapters and a 30-minute prayer a day and then you give me financial freedom. Or I do this and then you give me that. And as ridiculous as it sounds, for me, that prayer I prayed at three in the morning where I was like, I just want to go to sleep and I feel like if I just talk to God and without asking him, he'll give me the reward of sleep was for me just a subtle point in my theology where I was like, I think that's what I'm trying to do to God right now. That because I, Jonathan Yoon, have prayed to you, you must be flattered enough to come down to earth and intervene divinely inside of my life. Which again, is a very demeaning way to view God. And I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where somebody did something nice for you. And we talked about this in a youth Sabbath school. I asked the question, has anyone ever done something for you disguised as kindness, but it was really a means of manipulating you? Somebody compliments you or spends time with you. I talked about a time where one of the older guys at my church when I was maybe in junior high, high school took me out to lunch. And I was like, oh my goodness, you never talked to me. I was like, yeah, let's get some food, man. We got some food. And then he started talking about like, yeah, I'm running this program this summer. And like, oh, it's so hard. I can't find leaders. And I was like, oh my goodness, I can do that. Yo, let me help you. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, really? I was like, yeah, dude, let me help you with the program. And then like a year later, I was like, oh my goodness. That's why he asked me to lunch. Like, he asked me not so he could get me to do that. And, like, it felt really gross and, like, disgusting inside. And I don't know if you've ever been on the receiving end of something like that. But it's a really terrible feeling to feel manipulated by especially something like kindness or someone acting like they care about you or spending time with you. And at times, I felt, quite frankly, that that's what I was doing to God. And in doing so, my justification was, but God, my time is worth that, Right? My attention to you is worth a few miracles every now and again, is it not? And the problem with that is, when that doesn't happen, whose fault is it then? I felt like I was in the right, God. I picked up my side of the couch. I was pulling real hard. I did all those devotionals. How come you didn't come through for me? How come you failed me, God, when I feel like I've done more than enough on my end of the spectrum? Down here on earth, I took care of my part. Where were you? And the question remains for us, and again, an honest question that I think you can only really ask yourself. Why do you spend time with God? What is your motivation for opening the Bible, for spending time in prayer? Why? Think about when you do these things. Think about if, you're, if you feel like your prayer life and your spirituality and your relationship with God and your communication with God has been very like fluctuating over the past few months, years, think about when it's at its peak and when it disappears. 
What are the catalysts that start this up? And again, I'm not saying you can't come to God and run to God when you need him, and God encourages it. The problem becomes when we view this really as some sort of equivalent exchange or some form of currency. In response to this question, I was thought about, okay, well, then there must be some sort of biblical answer. What does Jesus say? What is the teaching in the Bible that tells us why we should abide or remain in God? And we'll have it on screen for you today. It's from John chapter 15. And I felt like if you asked Jesus the question, Jesus, what should we do like in regards to spending time with you and being with you? I feel like John 15 would be his response. In John chapter 15, um, it begins with, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself and must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Remain in me. Or as some of you grew up uh, reading in the King James Version, abide in me. Remain in me. And the result that Jesus promises, at least in this, is fruit. In a word, fruit. And he uses the analogy of, of branches and vines, um, branches and trees, you know, part of a plant. He uses plant analogy. This uses fairly, which he uses fairly often, but the illustration of a plant describes the result that we are to expect when we spend time and abide in Jesus. And part of the reason I think this analogy of a fruit tree is so perfect is that the nature of a branch on an apple tree, let's say, from my very limited understanding of like botany and plants, is that as long as the branch is attached to the tree, an apple will form on that branch regardless of whether it tries to or doesn't, whether it tries to do anything else, naturally speaking, as that branch is attached to the tree, at some point, a fruit will appear. Conversely, if that branch is not attached to the tree and it's broken off and it's just a branch on the ground, even whether it tries to or not, it'll die and nothing will come of it. And really, I thought that, that one verse in verse 7 where it says, if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. And I read that, and I cringed a little bit. I was like, ugh, that seems a little bit harsh. Until I was like, well, what do you do with branches that are in your yard? You just pick them up and you throw them away. Well, what good is a branch that is dead? Because it can't bear fruit because it's not attached to the main plant. And in a word... I feel like what Jesus is saying here, and this is actually a very important, this was a very important insight for me as I understood what it meant to remain, abide, or spend time with Jesus. The promise that God gives is that if you remain in me and I in you and you're a branch that is attached to this tree, the result of fruit, what Jesus really means, and Paul clarifies later in Galatians, he talks about if you walk in the spirit, the fruit that you'll get, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, what will result in your life is that you will experience change. Your life, your heart will be changed. You will be given love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control because 
of you remaining in me. And the reason this is important, at some point it sounds like, oh yeah, of course, is because for me, my theology really, if I really thought about it and was honest with myself, what I wanted to happen with me abiding in God and spending time with God is I wanted not to become more like God, but I wanted God to start acting more like me. And I wanted God Because I spent time with God and abided in God, what I expected and wanted was that he would then abide by what I asked him to do. And I wasn't really looking for a transformation of character or of heart. What I was really looking for was a change in circumstances brought on by the fact that I had abided in Jesus. But what John tells us here, what Jesus tells us through the Gospel of John, is that the point of spending time with Jesus the point of remaining or abiding in the branch and being attached to Jesus is not so that your circumstances can change, although they may. And there are instances of Jesus, again, waking up from the ship and calming the storm and changing the surroundings. But the real purpose and the reason we should spend time with God and we are called to do so is not so much that we can influence God, but so that God can influence us and change our hearts from the inside out. And the reason this was such a big insight to me was because it changed the way I viewed spending time with God. And it it really took out the whole aspect of like, then my time is really worth nothing to God, right? It, It can't be something I used as a bartering tool. It's like, God, look, because I did this, you owe me this. It should be because I spend time with you, I can be changed to become more like you. There's a verse in here that's a little bit controversial. It says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And it's kind of a, like a dicey verse. And I thought about for a second, I'm going to be honest, I'm like, maybe I should just take that verse out because it's kind of going against everything what I'm saying. But I thought about it and I thought about what this verse actually meant in the context of what Jesus is saying in the Gospel of John. He's saying, if you remain in me, I will change your heart so that your very desires, what you want for, what you ask for, will be in line with my will. And the opposite end of the spectrum, and we've, we have a word for the opposite end of that spectrum of desires that we have in our hearts that we don't have. And in a word, it's, it's addiction, right? We have addictions, maybe you've, you've experienced it yourself, but you know someone that had an addiction, a desire, a need that they had to fulfill in their heart that they didn't want, that was destroying them. But they kind of wanted it at times, and they were drawn to it, but they didn't want to have that desire. And that's really, if you've ever heard of people overcoming addiction through the power of of God and the Holy Spirit and through prayer, they'll talk about how God changed their hearts and their actual desires from the inside out so that the wishes that they could ask for, the things that they truly wanted, were changed from the inside out. And because of this, it stands to reason that the reason you and I are called to spend time with Jesus is not so much that we can influence God from here up, but that we can expect and accept God's influence from top down. And in a sense, when you accept and you start to do devotionals and spend time in the word, what you are logically accepting is that there is a part of me that I feel like needs to be changed and influences. And really, reading the Bible truly from the purest form of motivation in, its, in and of itself is a very humbling thing Because to truly read it as Jesus asked us to read it is admitting to yourself that I am not complete in and of myself and I am not whole or I am not enough and I need help. I need that transformation. I need that fruit because I have not been attached to the vine. And without the vine, without being attached to the vine in Jesus' words, 
we can do nothing. It's not a give and take. It's just, please, I need you, even though I can't really give you anything in return. Last week on the praise team, sing a song, introduced a song called Gratitude. And if you're on our, the Cacao Random Chat, um, Friday night, Andy, who was on the team, Andy posted and said, hey, guys, um, we're going to introduce a new song tomorrow. If you want to check it out and familiarize yourself with it, you can do so on this link. Um, and I clicked on it, and I saw that the title of the song was, was Gratitude. And actually, I talked with Elliot about it last week. And I was like, ah, oh, it's one of those praise songs. I like, very much judged it before I listened to it. And I was like, okay, I know this kind of song. It's a song you would hear on like Christian radio, but you probably wouldn't sing in church. Like, I feel like I knew what the song was going to be about. But I listened to it. And it kind of blew my mind. Like, I loved this song. And we have the chorus of the song up here. And the reason I, I chose to put the chorus of the song and end the, the message with this is because I feel like in one poem, in one paragraph, this kind of encapsulates the heart of devotionals and the heart of what happens when we abide in Jesus. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Because all that I have is a hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. And I know it's not much, but I have nothing else that is fit for a king. There is nothing else I can truly offer you in exchange for what you have done for me. So all I can really say is, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. And I feel like the true heart of someone that spends time with Jesus, the purest motivation, comes from this sense of understanding how much Jesus has done for us and continues to do for us in changing us and transforming us and realizing there really is nothing I can offer in return. There's nothing of value that I can give to God. That There's no way I can use my time and attention as a means to justify God having to do things in my life. All I can really do to use just normal language is say thank you. Thank you, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for me. And that's the fruit that appears when we spend time with Jesus, an understanding of God's deep and wide love for you and me as it transforms us into God's character. Let's end with prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you again for the reminder that you give us um, so regularly in our lives um, of your grace and your mercy towards us, Father. Oftentimes, um, it's easy for us to want to use and empower ourselves and puff ourselves up and, and act like you deserve to do these things for us. We may not explicitly say it, but at times it may show through our actions. Father, I ask for your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy in those moments, Father, as you draw us close to you and, and not out of obligation or need to, but because of an understanding of truly how much you have given for us and on our behalf, Father. Lord, I ask that as we go from this place and as we enter into the week with all the crazy schedules that we have. You draw us to your word. You draw us to your presence. Again, from an understanding of just how much you love us as we submit to you by giving you our time. And we accept the transformation and the gift of grace that you empower into our hearts, Lord. Let us be changed and molded according to your word and according to your will. Father, thank you so much for all that you've done. Truly, that's all we can say is hallelujah, hallelujah. I pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen.